her life and the outflow of the love for God that I saw in her, as you saw today. And so it, it was rich even to hear even more about what God has been doing. Maybe that's your life as well. Maybe you've seen a faithful God who has been leaning into you and brought you through some serious, troubling times. Sometimes that is, it is in childhood, but not everyone. Other times it is later in life that we undergo challenges of different kinds. But nevertheless, God is faithful. He said he will keep us, he will do it. And so we have to trust him in that. It reminds me of a theologian, uh, Anthony Hukuma. He, he wrote in a book, uh, Saved by Grace, about a missionary sitting at his desk in his hut somewhere in Africa. And he was looking desperately for a translation of one word. And this word was faith. And so he was trying to translate the Gospel of John into the native language of that village, of that tribe. And so he was pondering over and over again, what could the word be? And so this missionary, of course, doing cross-cultural ministry, right, he can't think of it because that wasn't his culture. But one man came in to his office and just plopped down in the chair. And he remembered thinking to himself, that's it, that's it. That expression that he made when he plopped down in the chair meant I'm leaning all my weights on this chair. At once, the missionary left up. He started dancing, singing for joy. I got my word. Faith is leaning all your weights on Christ. That's the heart of it, right? All your weight on him, all your weight on receiving him. So God had given him clarity on how to communicate faith to the brothers and sisters in that particular time. But it's not always clear for someone to work through their faith, to envision what it means, to envision what it means from God as he's opened his revelation through his word. Sometimes the vision may be skewed a bit, you know, because of our own thinking about how faith should go, about our own faith and what it should look like. Other times there may be lies that come up in your head, uh, things of belittling truths about your, your nature, your character, your dignity, right, can begin to skew how you view yourself in light of faith and to, to really knock you off course and trust in God completely. It could be a number of things. And so we see earlier in this letter to the Galatians, we learned that the Galatians were indeed knocked off course a little bit. They were deserting God and turning to a different gospel, a gospel that wasn't a gospel at all. They were being troubled and confused by some folks who were distorting the true gospel of faith in Christ. So the Apostle Paul in this passage, you know, he's going through great lengths, lots of compassion and concern to communicate to them God's vision for faith. Again, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I cling. Nothing that someone else may bring to say, that's it, that's, you need to have Jesus and this other thing. Like, no, nothing else that I need but him. So clearly in this passage, we see that Jesus is communicated as the only way of salvation, the only way of life for those who are in, the, in this world who desire true life. And we see here in verse one, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you 
It is before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So Paul addresses them in what some may call an insulting way. But really, you can feel the compassion come through, right? The more passionate tone. So Paul is deeply concerned. He's really perplexed, maybe bewildered at what's going on in that situation. You know, he's wrestling to open their minds to, to what they already have professed. And he says, oh, foolish Galatians. What does this mean? Foolish. Well, some people, you know, some, some definitions say unintelligent. But he can't mean that here, right? It's more like they're not mindful of the spiritual realities of God that was revealed to them through Paul, through the preaching of the gospel. So Paul is, a, is appealing to the Galatians to recall what they believe on in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the only occurrence in the Bible that we have the word foolish or, you know, th- this word that, that, that means unmindful. Jesus said it himself. Jesus, uh, freshly raised from the, from the grave, and he's walking on the road to Emmaus with some of his disciples. And, and Jesus asked him some questions. It's like, are you the only one who is visiting Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? And so later in the conversation, Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What is not, what, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. Oh, foolish ones, forgetting what God had promised long ago. Oh, foolish ones, not keeping in mind the very faithfulness of God towards his people. Oh, foolish ones, you need your minds renewed. And notice Paul is not saying fool. Fool is someone who who does not think the things of God, who does not believe in God. That's a true fool. Someone who does not have a relationship with Christ. But believers at times, we can be foolish, right? Like the Galatians, something has cut in on them in this situation, And they are being foolish, not mindful of the things that they know to be true. And Paul is driving this home with them here. And he asks his other question, who has bewitched you? So this is Paul's first question to really stir their minds. You know, what does this mean, bewitched? You know, some have written it to mean to exert an evil influence through the eye. Or it can mean to influence or affect by casting a spell, meaning to tell a different story, to turn to a work of another. Some believe that it's more of a metaphor. But either way, the the word carries the reference to these magical arts, probably here meaning to be perverted or confused in the mind. Again, we back to to the mind So bewitched could mean this, being confused in the mind by someone else who's telling a different story. Who's telling your story today? Who's telling you who you are, what your identity is, other than the identity of Christ? Who has told you what your story is? 
You know, we grew up in families that assign meaning to us, and they should, right? But sometimes the roles get a little skewed. There are some things that are said about us that are simply not true. Some things that are said are like, you are ugly, literally. Some people have heard that said. You are being assigned a name that is not your true name, is not the name that Christ is giving you. And that may still plague you until this day. Someone who is annoying or someone who talks too much. But you begin to see how someone tells this different story about you, but it's always based upon your dignity that God has given you. Right? If you're talkative, God has given that to you. If you allow, God has given that to you. We all can learn how to be different ways, but if you have a certain temperament, that's always what, this, what Satan wants to write the story of your life about. That one thing that continues to plague you, not liking your hair, not liking body parts, or whatever it may be, something can bewitch us to lead us down a path to believe that we are not dearly beloved and identified in Christ and delighted on in him. So it can happen to a believer. It can happen to a non-believer. It can just simply happen to the people made in the image of God. So this Christianity that we profess and that we believe in, this is what Paul is bringing back to the minds of the Galatians. He is preaching the cross, the death, and the resurrection to them. And he remembers even through his question that, that he put to them, you know, what, wasn't Christ clearly portrayed to you as crucified? Remembering, preaching to them the true gospel, remembering that they truly believe, remembering that they were excited about the gospel of grace on fire for Jesus, remembering that they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Galatians 4, you welcome me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus himself. And then he asked, what has happened to your joy? So there was joy in the reception, in the gospel that they live their lives by. What has happened? Maybe that is a litmus test for us here today, right? Sometimes we, we don't experience the deep joy that is promised from the scripture. Why is that? That may be the question that we have to ask ourselves to sort of break up the mold, right, the fog from over us. Like, what has cut in on my joy to, today? Was it this morning me not getting my way uh, when my children stepped inside of the room? I'm on now. I got to take care of them. What, was it something that happened when I was on my way to church? Somebody offended me on the road? Was it my spouse that didn't speak a kind word to me or, or say good morning when I expected them to? What has cut in on your joy? But see, it's sometimes hard to believe this, but this is what God promises to us who are in him, that we will have it, that it will remain. So like the Galatians, there are times when we need a gospel total recall, a gospel total remembrance, right? Day by day, of course. But we must remember that, you know, the process of the faith that God calls us into. We, we must remember uh, the prototype of faith from Scripture that God has given us. 
we must remember the promise of faith as well. So Paul takes them through this, this remembrance of this process of faith that they went through when they first believed. And he's doing it almost like an interrogation style. He's coming with these questions after questions, these five rhetorical questions in order to draw them out, in order to lead them to think about what they believe and how they came to believe it. So Paul is calling them to remember their, their conversion, their conversion story. In verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The point is this. You receive the Spirit of God by believing what you heard, surrendering to Christ for salvation. You did that over against thinking that you had to do something to earn God's favor, to be in relationship to him. No, you heard the gospel truth preached, and the Spirit moved in your life in such a way that you had eyes to see and ears to hear that this is real. Before you did not have ears to hear this, but now you have. Before you worship pagan gods and the gods of your ancestors, but now you embracing the God, the creator of the universe, the, the covenant-keeping God, the God that is near They received it by the Spirit's power, hearing, believing on in faith, not by the works of the law, not by attempting to win God's favor through studying the books of Moses or the other Old Testament prophets. And also, he's bringing them to to remember their, uh, to recall their repentance as well. He brings it up again about being foolish. Are you so foolish? He asked them, have you been so illogical in your thinking about your experience of the spirit of Christ? Jesus would have you think upon him, not thinking upon how to have Jesus and some traditions of men. Change your thought processes and seek to follow what Jesus has commanded, what you know to be true and mindful what you know to be clear in your mind when the Spirit came upon you. Return to those things. John Murray wrote in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he's talking about faith and salvation and and how faith and, and repentance go hand in hand. The faith that is unto salvation is a penitent faith, and the repentance that is unto life is a believing repentance. Faith is faith in Christ for salvation from sin. But if faith is directed to salvation from sin, there must be hatred of sin and the desire to be saved from it. Such hatred of sin involves repentance. Again, if we remember that repentance is turning from sin unto God, the turning to God implies faith in the mercy of God as revealed in Christ. It is impossible to disentangle faith and repentance. Saving faith is permeated with repentance, and repentance is permeated with faith. When you recall that you need to repent, to bring back to mind the things of Christ and turn and and trust in him, it's like a one-two punch. It's like, I repent and I trust in you, Lord. 
I'm turning from this thing over here that you said is not good for me. Maybe it's a, re- a type of relationship. Uh, maybe it is being spiteful towards somebody that the Lord has led you to be kind towards. Maybe it, it is using your tongue loosely in a way that brings damage and, and harm to other people. Repenting from those things and trusting over here in Christ, remembering the testimony of your faith. Because God is the one that is going to complete the work. And Paul recalls this for them. In uh, verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected, being completed by the flesh? No, you're being perfected by the Spirit. The Spirit that has come in. The Spirit that was poured out in your lives and within you for those that believe in Jesus. So what is the implication? Let's trust in the work of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. Not in your own ways, but in those times when the Spirit clearly speaks to you, fall down on your knees and pray. Go, do, go and serve over here these people. Be timely in your commitments. Fulfill your promises. These are the things that the Spirit leads us in and bears much fruit from because these are the things that bear up the fruit of love, patience, and kindness, to name a few. So the main point Paul is making with these questions here, you know, has to do with, you know, how to bring together, you know, the beginning of one's Christian life and not and leading them away from shifting to something else that leads them down a path of trying to progress through human efforts. God would not have it. He would not lead us, he would not leave us there, but he will complete this work and he will call it to our remembrance so that we can join him in it. And Paul continues to to recall their perseverance. They suffered for the name, for the sake of the name. So he's calling them not to suffer in vain. They went through great trouble, name of the name of Christ. They had to give up a lot of things for the name of Christ, and rightly so. But don't make your suffering meaningless, but follow Christ, undergoing suffering, knowing that he will hold you up. And then they were, Paul is bringing them to recall the miracles that God did among them, the things that only Christ could do in their midst. Paul asked this question in verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? God does supply the Spirit to you over and over again, and he works miracles among you. And this is the inbreaking of the kingdom, the work of the apostles. God was doing many miracles through them so that people would know that Hey, these, this apostle, Paul, this Paul, what he is speaking is from the very mouth of Jesus. It's from the lips of God. It's not by some man. This is given from God. And the testimony of the Spirit through the works of the miracles give evidence that this is from God. A man cannot do these type of miracles unless he was sent by God. You know, this reminds me being recalled of the work of God in one's life. It reminds me of a story I heard of a gentleman. He and his buddies were out at sea, and a storm came through and washed over the boat. 
and, you know, tossed it over, and they are all out of, the, out of the boat. But they managed to call a rescuer, rescuing team to come and, and get them from the middle of the ocean. And they came in, they searched for them, and the storm was spinning the helicopter around. And so they were able to rescue about three of the five, and, and then they came back for another guy. But the one guy who was telling me the story said, you know, I was out there for two hours waiting for them. And the only thing that I could do was cry out to God. I didn't know how this was going to turn out. The storm was going on around me. I was on this thing that they had given me to hold on to in the middle of the ocean. He had told them that he was a good swimmer. But to be out there alone and in the storm, it's a scary thing. And so the only thing he could do is recall the hymns that he heard in this youth. He recalled the promise that God could rescue him in that place. He called upon the name of God. What else could you do? What else could you do in a situation like that? And so we see that this reception of the Spirit the Galatians received led to their believing what they heard. And Paul is reminding them, like, this is not through the work of traditions of, and of man. You came to true belief when I preached the gospel of grace to you. You underwent the suffering of your own bodies, of your own life. And then the miracles themselves were signs for you to believe in. So he's calling them to remember their faith and how God has saved them through these questions. He also called them to remember the prototype of faith, Abraham. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. So Paul turns to use Abraham here as an example of one that believed the promise of God, and that was counted as righteous to him. Abraham was counted as upright, one who had the divine declaration that you are right by the legal standards of God's law. Because he believed God after he gave him the promise. The word says in Genesis 15, And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man, talking about somebody in his house, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted to him as righteous. God told him, know for certain, Abraham, that I will deliver to you an heir. Know for certain, I will give you many offspring. Knowing then that it is those of faith who are Abraham's son. So God promises Abraham his offspring shall be like the stars in the sky. Those that believe in God are indeed in Abraham. They carry the same faith as Abraham, and they are counted righteous. It's not, it's not through the law that God had given Abraham's descendant, but it's through the very faith of Abraham, one who believed in the object of his faith, who was God. So it's not centered around Abraham and what he had done, but centered around God and the promise that he made, the covenant that he made with Abraham, the com- deep commitment that he made. And Paul makes his other argument from Scripture in verse 8. 
He said, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham and saying, and you, all the nations shall be blessed. So God gave Abraham the command, go from your country, go from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and dishonor those and those who dishonor you I will curse and all the families on the earth shall be blessed through you. This is God's promise to him, that through you, Abraham, through your offspring, through, through your lineage of faith, through you, you will be a blessing to the nations. And it's hard to have faith in God at times, isn't it? I remember Chris and I having walks, talking about having a baby. Uh, it was hard for us to do so. And we were asking the questions like, you know, God says be fruitful and multiply, but he's not producing any fruit for, for us. And so it was a disappointing time for us as we tried to uh, get pregnant and have a baby, and, and then it didn't happen over and over and over again. It continued to happen. But God says remain faithful in him. And we were saying, God, it's hard to remain faithful whenever we are trying and trying and nothing is coming from our efforts. Nothing is coming from what we believe that you promised us that we should have. Some of you may feel that way today. Maybe it is the desire to have a family. Maybe it is the desire for marriage. Maybe you're waiting on God. God, you said you promised these things from your word and you have not delivered on these things. It is difficult to have faith in God. It takes the power of the Spirit to continue to remember that we're in Him and that He will keep us first and foremost and that it is His will. And that's hard to hear. It's like, God, is it your will that I will remain single? Help me to deal with that, Jesus, because I don't know how to wrestle with that. Is it your will that I'm not with the person that I love? Help me to have faith in you, Jesus, and trust in your unchanging hand. These are some difficult things to wrestle with. And there's no promise from God at times that we will get the desire of our hearts. You know, we can say that, yes, God is going to get, he's given us the ultimate thing, which is in Christ. But it's not for me to say, keep waiting for God. He's going to deliver. We don't know what he's going to do, but we know that he is good. We know that he is steadfast. We know that his face turns towards us. We know that he's able to keep us in the faith. We know those things because that is indeed what he is doing. And the promise of this faith is backed by Jesus Christ, the redemption that we have in him. The scripture here in verse 10 through 14 talks about us being under a curse. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And these are some difficult passages to wrestle through. Theologians still are wrestling through these today, trying to make sense of what does Paul mean here? You know, and, and, and uh, why is he using the scripture in this way? Even Peter said the things that Paul had written are hard to understand. If Peter says that about Paul's writing, they're going to be hard for us as well. But one thing that I note in closing here 
that Paul is talking about relying on the works of the law for your salvation, relying on something else, your own way for saving faith, relying on something else that has cut in on you, that leading you away from Christ. Paul is saying, look, whoever relies on these things, they're under a curse. It's as if they're going to receive the wrath of God. Because the scripture says, cursed be anyone, everyone who does not abide by things written in the book of the law. There's only one who can keep the law perfectly, and that's Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the, the whole law. Jesus is, in fact, the word of God himself. And it's Jesus who is the right redeemer, the promise keeper of our faith. He is the one that has reconciled what God has promised through Abraham long ago. That there will be many nations blessed through you. That you will have many sons and daughters. And these sons and daughters are sons and daughters of faith who put their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. So Paul has been wrestling with the Galatians, leading them to see the faith that they once professed. Seeing the faith that God had allowed them to progress through. So he had to process that with them. And he's pointing them to Abraham, not to the law. Abraham was a pagan. Abraham was one who was of the nations. And God saved him. God made a promise to him. And God is continuing to fulfill that promise in Jesus Christ today. So God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Because when he gives a promise, we can bank on it, that he's going to deliver. And his promises to us are, uh, is this. That you, blood-bought one, you who named the name of Christ, you shall be saved both now and to the end of the age. That you shall be with me in eternal dwelling. We're working out a lot of things as we go along, but that's the main thing. That our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God is the only one who can be faithful to see that through. Let's pray to him. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for such a a beautiful and such a a, a humbling place to be in, that you're the faithful God. You're faithful to keep your promises. You're faithful to lead us, Father, to, 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 to obey you in your word because of what you have done in Christ and the spirit that you place on our hearts. So we thank you so much, and we trust that you will keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.